Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Chief Performance Engineer at State Space, Taylor Johnson. Thanks for tuning in to episode 337 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So a couple of years after the first part with Taylor, which absolutely blew my mind, I'm absolutely delighted to get on for a part two. So the reason part one blew my mind was the the opportunity for strength and conditioning coaches and sports scientists based on what Taylor said and the market, the esports market. I just thought a lot of strength and conditioning coaches and sports scientists may be missing a trick. Those that are struggling for work, those that are wanting to get or do something different in a different environment and make a real impact. Based on Taylor's first episode, it was so clear to me that esports could be the way to go. So it was a no-brainer to get Taylor back on to have a little chat around how things have changed since 2019 in esports and how performance coaches, sports scientists, and the conditioning coaches, whatever we want to call ourselves, can still fit into this esports model. So Taylor's also writing a book in collaboration with Human Kinetics, which is all around the performance of the esports athlete. So that's coming out later this year or next year, so make sure you uh, keep an eye out for that. So in this episode, we chat around what's expected of a performance coach in esports. Is the strength and conditioning coach the right person to fill that gap that is there? And then the transition from a performance coach in a traditional sport to a performance coach in esports and how people can potentially pivot in this area, what unique characteristics coaches can bring, all the good stuff. So I'm going to hand over to Taylor. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you listen to this episode and you haven't listened to episode one, make sure you do check that out. But I look forward to hearing everyone's feedback. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Perch. Perch enables velocity-based training, no strings attached. Engineered at MIT, Perch uses small and mobile cameras to monitor and manage weight room performance without detracting from it. By passively collecting speed and power data, delivering it in real time to athletes and storing it for post-workout analysis, Perch enhances workouts, reduces injuries and saves time. Perch works with every level of organization, from the 2019 National Championship LSU football team to the NFL's New York Giants, military installations, high schools, and to a number of growing sports performance facilities and even individual garage gyms. Perch is portable, easy to install, intuitive to use, making it ideal for every facility and every training goal. No more pre-workout setup, no more attachments to athletes and barbells, no more broken strings. Set Perch up once and optimize every rep. Reach out to Perch today and for exclusive deals and offers, tell them Rob sent you by going to perch.fit forward slash Pacey. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. So Kitman Labs partners with leading sports teams to help them consistently achieve the highest levels of performance by increasing the impact of their data. So over 200 teams across the globe rely on Kitman Labs' performance intelligence platform to quantify the costs of performance and injury and receive the right insights at the right time. 
Through unique outcome-driven analytics and the most advanced athlete management system, teams can align their organizations around a shared view of what it takes to drive performance and health and move at the speed of sport to adjust and continuously improve. If you want to know more about Kitman Labs, head over to www.win.kitmanlabs.com forward slash impact. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Taylor Johnson. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this evening, I'm delighted to welcome, for a long overdue part two, Taylor Johnson. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on again. Super excited. I think I remember being excited last time, but um, I'm excited to see what's to, to hear what's uh, what's been going on since October 19, and zero has happened in the world between then and now. <laughs> Just I mean, in blink of an eye. <laughs> yeah, it's wild, right? Wild, yeah. Crazy, crazy times. But anyone that didn't tune into the first episode, do you just want to give us a bit of an intro on yourself, uh, what you're doing, what you did before, education-wise, all the good stuff? Sure, yeah. So my background's in athletic performance, coached in college in the NFL for about 10 years. And four years ago, I made the pivot into gaming and esports. And it was one of those things that, you know, I had known of it, but didn't realize how big it had gotten and saw a huge opportunity in promoting health and wellness to millions of people worldwide. You know, and who would have thought, like, do that through video games. Um, so my career trajectory through that has been consulting and working for various teams and organizations. And now I work for States-Based Labs, which is a neuroscience uh, gaming development company where we're blending neuroscience, machine learning, AI, and video games to you know surpass the limits of human potential, uh, and that goes within gaming and across multiple other industries. And you know even before all of that, I mean I'll say that you know my background in education was in exercise physiology and neurobiology, uh, masters in exercise science with an emphasis in rehabilitation. You know so S and C and performance have always been kind of my squeeze, right? I've always told people that my passion is performance, and it's my curiosity that navigates me through the world. Uh, which ultimately, you know, that's how I got into gaming. Nice, mate. So you were the in San Francisco before 49ers. Okay, nice. Yep. So what kind of role was that? That was very much hands-on, gym-based. It was, yeah. yeah. It was that and and a bunch of other things too, right? So my bread and butter was the weight room, so classic S and C. Uh, but then also took on uh, our sports science, um, did the nutrition. 
uh, worked with our sports medicine staff on some rehabilitation and it really kind of worked with our team and joint teams between sports med and our SNC and overall performance on like, how do we optimize the best way that we can knowing we're working backwards from game day. And it was a lot of fun, you know, learned a ton, um, you know, with the, especially with the opportunity to, to wear all those different hats and have my hands in a bunch of different things, uh, had some amazing relationships and a lot of lessons learned. So what, I mean, I know we went into this last time, but I think it's super, super interesting for people. How did the transition happen into the, into the esports arena? Yeah. Well, um, you know, what kind of set it off was, you know, being at the 49ers at the time, we just weren't a very good team. And I think a lot of people in traditional sports can relate to that where, you know, you get your wins and you get your losses and ultimately what happens when you get enough losses, you know, they do a coaching change. Um, so I'd been there through one coaching change and uh, we had another season and we weren't doing too hot. And I was like, okay, we're probably going to go through another coaching change as well. Um, our staff had made it through one change. I didn't know if we were going to make it through another. And so I started to look, you know, on the horizon and say, well, what else is out there? And I've always been entrepreneurial minded. I've, I've always been really curious about where do these skill sets of performance and these strategies and tactics, where else does that fit? Because I've always had the understanding, the belief that we're all performers. We're all high performers. It just, it doesn't matter. And the context, right? It's the arena that we step into. So it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a soccer mom, or a stay-at-home dad, you know, we all perform. And so I started to reach out to, you know, friends and colleagues and mentors and a good buddy of mine who is a CEO of a tech company up in Toronto, uh, in Canada. He goes, you know, you got to check out esports. And again, I, I had known of it and I started digging in and being like, wow, this is a, this is amazing and became really fascinated by the level of strategy and the, the tactics that go into it. And, you know, for context, I'm not a gamer. You know, even to this day, I mean, I, I play, but I wouldn't call myself a gamer. Um, you know, I play so I can understand, you know, what the gamers are actually going through on a day-to-day -day basis. So then I can think about, okay, well, what are the demands that are placed on them and how can we be more thoughtful around programming? Um, so when I really got into the weeds, I realized that there are way more similarities than differences. Uh, which was kind of shocking. But then again, didn't surprise me once I really started to look at, okay, like, yeah, it's all the same stuff. You know, performance is performance. And there are groups of individuals that are, um, you know, employed by organizations as professionals to train and compete at the highest level. And so that was kind of like this, you know, this experience of being like, all right, let's go do this. And I think one of the one of the moments that really kind of put me back on my heels where I then dug in and charged straight ahead is I was flying back from the East Coast. Uh, I was visiting a buddy out there and I was standing in line at the TSA, checking in for my flight. And there was a, a woman and her young son in front of me and they're going through the line and they check in. And uh, the little kid was on this iPad. He was maybe, you know, seven years old, maybe a little bit younger. And he was playing on this iPad, Fortnite, I think. And you know, the TSA agent checks the mom in and looks down at the son and he goes, you know, hey, what's your name? The kid's not paying attention. He goes, hey, do you play any sports? You know, as if like, hey, like stop playing on your iPad. And the kid pauses the game, looks up at him. He goes, I don't play sports, I game. And I was like, whoa. It, I mean, it's not going anywhere and it's only continued to grow. And with the professionalization of these teams that are now global, it's worldwide, you know, the opportunity is there. 
And one of the big things that I think as performance coaches and just health and wellness professionals is we can take everything that we've learned in the context of traditional sports and other industries and really bridge the gap into this emerging sport and industry and have a positive impact and take all the lessons that we've learned, both good and bad, and not make the same mistakes and and really amplify what's possible in that space. Nice. And again, I think I asked this before, but it'd be nice to get a, an insight into what's changed in the industry, what's developed in the industry, more from a, definitely from a performance point of view, but just in general anyway, from like October 19th, so what, 15, 16 months, I'm guessing things are moving pretty quick. Very fast. I yeah. mean, it's the growth is exponential. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that really became apparent, and this was always an underlying current before, uh, but when COVID really hit and everybody was locked down, I think people across, I mean, everybody felt it, you know, mental health became a really big issue and a really big topic of conversation. And that's always been um, something that's prevalent in gaming and esports. It tends to be quite toxic depending on the communities that you're involved in. And a lot more people started to speak openly about the struggles that they were going through. Um, so one of the big changes that I saw is a, is a shift in the conversation to um, really allow the space for that and to also offer support and help. So that was one of the big things that started to happen. I think the other was people were realizing like we're way more sedentary than we've ever been before. You know, we don't have the, the luxury, I will say, to actually go into an office and be around other people. You know, a lot more people started to switch into, um, you know, obviously working from home, but from the gaming community, it's, it's nothing really changed for them other than like, hey, like now everybody else is like on our bandwagon. Um, so I think the the first conversation around mental health became a really big one, an even larger one. The second was, okay, well, people are way more sedentary. So then talking about nutrition and movement and recovery started to come into play. And a lot of the teams and organizations that were already kind of paving the way by hiring on performance staff, whether it's a sports psychologist, a nutritionist, um, either like a personal trainer or a physio, a lot more of those organizations started to jump on board because players you know, were burning out even more. And that's always been a, you know, a pretty consistent theme. And that has to do with a lot of different factors. But I would say, you know, the overall conversation around health and wellness has just been amplified. And now everybody's starting to, to view them, you know, the, these eSport players as high performers, as athletes, you know, whatever you want to call them. In my opinion, you can call them an athlete or a gamer. It doesn't matter. They're a high performer. So then how do we give them the tools and resources to be the best and be successful? Can you give us a bit of a high level view? of when you say professionalism has, has moved on, like has increased, what kind of jobs are we, are we talking about here? How many jobs are available? Like just a, like a rough estimate of the, of the industry. I know that's, that's good. That's yeah. Pretty, it's hard. It's tough, hard to but, say. Yeah. yeah. You had asked me that last time too. And I kind of <laughs> gave a wishy-washy. Yeah. You, I gave a wishy-washy answer and it'll probably be more of the same. Um, you know, what I will say is, the opportunity is, you know, with the professional organizations that are really set up and, and have the proper funding, you know, a lot of the jobs now are not necessarily um, in-house, you know, meaning like they have a, you know, specific person that's on staff where they're building out these programs, they're contracting, you know, so whether they're contracting to a, you know, performance company that's outside of it or they're contracting with specific individuals. So they're bringing on sports psychologists or nutritionists or physios either come on site or they're doing remote coaching, things like that. 
Um, and that's happening, you know, both in the UK, it's happening in the US, it's happening, you know, pretty much everywhere, you know, teams are starting to say like, okay, this is an issue, especially because players are asking for it, which is, I think, phenomenal. Players are like, hey, other teams are doing this. Like, why don't we have this? Um, you know, I, I speak with a lot of other uh, teams and players and it's still a topic of conversation, but they're like, hey, we realize that we're not sleeping well. We realize we're not eating well. We need to fix this. And so it's, you know, identifying that problem, then going, you know, filling that solution, which is, you know, for all the performance coaches that are, you know, either traditionally SNC or, you know, if you want to call yourself, you know, this holistic coach and look at performance, you know, in terms of all the different variables that come into play, you know, how can you best set yourself up to be noticed and to bridge that gap? What's, what's driving that? What's driving that need from the, from the, uh, from the athletes, from the e-sport athletes? Where's that coming from? Just, just general influences from media and maybe wearables and data collected on themselves and realizing and been a bit more aware or not? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's interesting. I think it's, it's a number of different factors, right? I think one is the players are starting to mature. So they're getting to, I mean, and when I say mature, I mean, we're still talking about fairly young individuals, you know, they're anywhere from 18, 19 to mid twenties. You know, what they're starting to realize is like, hey, my body is a machine. And just like I take care of my my gaming rig and I do updates on my on my computer, I need to do that on myself as well. And I think also coupled with the the feelings of burnout and fatigue, um, they're like, well, how do we fix this? Right. And the players that have taken on that role and the leadership to start to eat well, you know, get proper sleep understand how exercise has incredible benefits cognitively and physically, you know, other players on the team start to notice. And I think what helps uh, amplify that message is streaming. So you have these individuals that, you know, not only do they compete for an organization, but they have sponsorships and they stream on Twitch. So they talk openly about how they are taking care of their bodies and like what the routines look like. And a lot of them are talking about pregame, postgame nutrition. They're talking about, you know, different supplements that they're using. They're talking about how they're using mindfulness and meditation, which I think is fantastic. You know, I mean, like we need more of that. And I think it's kind of assumed that that happens in traditional sports, like athletes just do that. Um, but you wouldn't necessarily think that would be happening or come from an individual who plays video games. And so I think the more that that happens and, you know, the cat's out of the bag, like, hey, if you want to be a high performer, there are probably some foundational things that you need to do on a consistent basis. Key thing is consistency. You know, if you do these things well, you build these habits that turn into a lifestyle change and that ultimately raises the bar and your aptitude uh, for the level which you can play and for how long. So the two things are performance and longevity. One thing that I probably should have asked at the start and it comes back to state space. Can you give us a a bit more of an overview of, of what state space actually is and why you have such a good understanding of the, the, the whole industry because you're so, it's so broad. Sure. Yeah. So state space was, uh, you know, originally this, this brilliant idea by our CEO and our chief scientist. So our CEO is, is Wayne Mackey. Uh, our chief scientist is David Heger. Uh, and so Wayne is a lifelong gamer. Um, he's been on a few other podcasts and shared his story, which is a phenomenal one. Um, you know, he, he was always thinking about like, what makes a great gamer? You know, like, what are the things that really go into, you know, from the cognitive standpoint, like, how are they such high performers? And it, you know, 
Wayne and David are neuroscientists from NYU. And so what they started to realize, what Wayne was looking at is like, well, if we take these same psychomotor tasks that are in the lab that are looking at speed, precision, accuracy, reaction time, you know, we can essentially create a game that can capture all that data. And when we have all that data, it becomes very meaningful because then we can look at different uh, aspects of each one of these, you know, domains around perception, cognition, and motor skills. And, you know, we can assess it, we can create diagnostics around that, and then we can train it. And so that's kind of what started the whole impetus of, of state space, which is now turned into this entire platform uh, with, with over 8 million users now, which is wild, you know, to, to be a part of such an amazing organization that has that much reach and impact. And we're, we're out there to solve problems. I mean, that's the big thing. You know, for us, it's not just about gaming. It's about how do we solve these human potential problems and take what we're learning across multiple different industries and have a positive impact. Strong mission. Super strong yeah. mission. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and to your point, too, it's, you know, we're very fortunate to have a lot of people that play our game. Uh, we have partnerships with amazing teams and organizations and players that, you know, really vouch for for what we're able to give them in, in terms of, you know, different tools. You know, we just launched uh, Creator Studio, which is essentially, you know, for all the, the coaches out there, it's essentially like in a, your ability to create practice scripts and ability to create context around training scenarios. And the cool thing about this is like players that use our game can actually do that themselves. So they can come up and recreate maps that mimic in-game scenarios. And then with that, they can come up with different target practice within those different scenarios. So imagine like small-sided games and things like this. And, you know, we could do that on our own, which we have. However, when you give the power to the people, you just get this exponential growth in the ability to train in multiple different scenarios and sharing. And there's a whole social aspect to it as well. So they're going in within a game, picking out certain scenarios and training them specific areas that they need to be trained. Sure. So imagine, um, you know, like one of the big games is Valorant, right? It's a first person shooter, uh, team based game. So there are certain maps in Valorant that, uh, that you're able to play. And so what our users can do now is they can go in and recreate those maps and then play through those maps and have specific training scenarios or target practice around, like if I want to peek around a corner or if I want to focus on headshots or if I want to practice my timing and all these different components that you can kind of build in as layers to how they go and practice. And then they can jump in real game and go play and see like that transfer. And this kind of gets to, you know, I think we talked about this on the last podcast and I've talked about this with other people as well. You know, the concepts around training, you know, I always, I always think about like Andrew Tony Bonachuk with, you know, the transfer of training, right? Where you have competitive exercise, specialized preparatory, specialized developmental and GPP. It's the same, right? And just swap out exercise for task, right? So we have the competitive task, which is the game itself. We have specialized preparatory tasks, which are something that is a derivative of that. And you just work backwards. Um, so it's really fun to see are, are the users and players like start to create these scenarios. And I'm kind of seeing it unfold where it's like, okay, those are specialized tasks or those are developmental tasks. So it's really fun to see that. And I think that's going to drastically change the industry because kind of going back to the earlier point about burnout, you know, one of the big things that uh, I, would, I would say is an issue is players don't know how to practice. You know, and there are some teams that are doing a better job of this, but, but really players think that you just have to grind the game, you know, and they'll play eight to 12, maybe more hours, you know, back to back playing these games. And there is a point of diminishing returns. 
And so it's really finding, you know, throughout that gaming experience or that session length, like where is that point, where's that drop off? And like, when do you need to have a break and how much is too much? And this kind of gets in the, to- the concept of like cognitive load and understanding cognitive load theory and with working memory and our capacity to be able to take in so much information and process at any given time. And at, at what point is it enough where you need to like take a break? And we always laugh and encourage like go sleep so you can actually like learn what you just like put yourself through. Cause the learning doesn't happen in the moment. The learning happens after when you actually sleep and crystallize all that. So there, there's so much more opportunity in space, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about it. Does the mental side drive the performance departments a lot of the time with these teams? So the psychological, the cognitive, the neuroscience, does that drive it rather than like in a traditional sport, you may have, it's normally the S&C coach or the sports scientist who gets that kind of head role. In esports, is it driven by the, the psychologist and the mental skills team? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think a lot of it, it's kind of across the board. I mean, all the teams, all the major teams have uh, a whole department of data analysts. So they're breaking down game film. They're looking at specific strategies and tactics and the the ratio, the win to loss ratios and, and all these different metrics. So data is a really big thing in gaming. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's not like in traditional sports where you know, you're lucky if you get a guy to wear a GPS unit or RFID, you know, because they don't want Big Brother watching them. And, you know, what are you going to use this data for? Uh, that was definitely something we ran into a lot. Yeah. yeah. You know, with gaming, like everything is collected and they're incredibly numbers driven. So I think the first thing starts with them knowing that the data is actually really beneficial to them. And then it's the drive from the players to want to learn more about their own skills and how they rank against other players. And then also you have, you know, the sports psychologists and other team managers getting real curious about, okay, well, here's where we're at. You know, how much potential do we actually have? Like, what is the lift that we can get if we start to look at some of these other domains around the neuroscience and, and start to unpack that? And more and more research is coming out, which is more exciting. There are way more initiatives now than there have ever been. And I imagine even more so, you know, in the next three to six months. Um, and it's continuing just to steamroll in that sense. And I think as more of that information gets out, more people are going to be even more curious and interested around, okay, well, how do we use this data? Like, how can we make this actionable and meaningful, right? Because we all know if you collect information, if there's no context behind information, it's it's worthless. Like, you can't do anything with it. Um, and again, that's one of the exciting things about gaming and esports is that you get all this information that's very specific in the context of what this the competition task or exercise is, which is playing this game. So it maps over very beautifully. So when you say about the the specific preparatory period, that's pretty obvious when it comes to esports. When it comes to the general stuff, what does what does that look like in your head when you think of like Bondichuk? Yeah, I mean, for me, that's uh, the fundamentals, you know, for, for them. So it kind of comes down to like these five buckets, at least what I what I call these five buckets for, for gaming. You know, so you have game knowledge, game sense, mechanical skill, teamwork and communication, and tactical decision making. And so when I think of the fundamentals, it would be, okay, so from the game knowledge, like, are you up to date on all the patches for the game? Do you understand the meta? Uh, the meta is basically, you know, the entirety of like how the game operates, which changes in esports. You know, it's not like in football or American football, like the game doesn't change. Yeah. 
you know, when developers release a new patch and they release a new meta, they introduce new heroes or characters. It changes the entire meta of how you play. And that kind of adds to the overall cognitive load and stress because now players have to go relearn or not even relearn. They have to learn new ways on how to play the game with these new characters. So it changes very much. Um, so the, the game senses, okay, the, the repetition, right? It's that intuition of when you're playing. Like it blows me away watching these individuals play because it's like they have this crazy sixth sense of just knowing where people are going to be on the map, given the information they're seeing from their mini map, the communications that are coming in from their teammates. I mean, it's just, it blows me away every time. Mechanical skill is, you know, essentially if it's a first person shooter, it's going to be the target practice. You know, how are you with your flicking and swiping and smoothing? These are all, you know, maneuvers that they do with the mouse to actually hit the target that they're going for. Uh, and then teamwork and communication is, is refining the, the overall communication in game and out of game. Uh, and so for them, it's, you know, in game, it's the same kind of calls or plays that you would have that a quarterback's making. Uh, in American football, you know, they have codes and colors and, you know, there's checks and balances for everything that's going on. Uh, and then out of game two, it's, well, how do you debrief? Like, how are we working on our team communication and how are we doing after action reviews and being able to break down information? Uh, and then for the, uh, the last one is the tactical decision-making is, okay, well, how are we actually setting up plays? You know, so it, at the fundamental level, I think, like that's kind of like GPP stuff. Like, hey, how are we doing these things on a general basis, both individually and collectively? And then even underneath that is, what are we doing around, you know, looking at our lifestyle, our nutrition, our movement, our recovery, you know, our, you know, our mental strategies, just deal with stress and pressure and coping mechanisms. Like that to me is, I, I would say, even like the core of it all. You know, how are we being a human being? You know, like, what are the things we're doing to really amplify ourselves so that we can show up every single day and perform at our best? And if we're not, you know, if I show up at 50% and say, Rob, I'm 50%, man, I need you to carry me today. Or like, you know, I may need some backup and like having that open and honest communication is key. And a lot more players are really keen into that and realizing the value because it builds trust. What's the general thoughts around this kind of lifestyle general health, nutrition, sleep, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, but that I guess that's where the the head of a normal strength and conditioning coach will go, okay, where do I fit? Like I want to be hands-on with this guy. I want to be in a in a gym environment or a you know a, an environment like that to work with these with, with these players. What's their what's their feeling around that and then in, in, in putting them in environments with those type of traditional snc coaches like, like you were yeah i mean it's it's all a conversation you know like that's the beautiful part i mean the, the more i think that we show up without an ego and you know really meet the people where they're at and understand what are the pain points for them because everybody's different you know and everybody's education level is different in terms of like their understanding of the knowledge and the resources that are presented to them and I may have shared this before on the previous podcast, but when I was interviewing my players and I was asking them, like, hey, what's been the big obstacle or obstacles that have really kept you from pursuing more of a healthy lifestyle? It, it kind of came down to three things. It was a lack of knowledge, a lack of resources, and a lack of confidence. And, you know, the lack of knowledge is interesting because there's so much knowledge out there and therein lies the rub because there's so much, they have no idea what's the right knowledge to follow and like what works best for me and like what's, what diet should I do or what's this new supplement I should take? You know, so that was the big knowledge gap. 
Uh, and then also, how do I like? How do I do that? Like, here's what it is, but how do I do that? And do I really understand the why behind it? Um, the second part of the resources is, you know, they may not have the financial means to do so. You know, and this is if you're in like tier three, tier two teams, or you're an aspiring pro, or even just a casual player. They may not have the resources to have a nutritionist or to have uh, a personal trainer or access to a physio or things like this. Um, so there's there's those two things, and I found if you can do those, you can give them. But what comes with that is confidence, and the confidence was a big thing. I was like, okay, well, I may have the first two, but like I don't want to go into a gym, you know, because I've never worked out before, and I don't want to be that guy that people look at and like, what the hell is that guy doing, you know? So there's that, and there's also the confidence to be able to speak up and voice what's really going on for them. And so I think if, you know, you're a traditional SNC coach, I mean, obviously your mind may go to like, hey, sleep and nutrition recovery, like, yes, but I would pause and say, you know, first really understand what's going on for them on a personal level and check in with yourself and be like, hey, am I bringing any of my own biases to this? And then try to remove that as much as possible and meet them where they're at and really understand at their level, what are they going through? What are the opportunities? What are the problems? And then how do you create solutions around that? And everybody's different. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Taylor. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we discuss more around pivoting into this area. So how performance coaches in traditional sports can pivot into an esports environment. What unique characteristics these guys and girls can bring. Then we have a little chat at the end around the future of esports from a performance angle. So really interesting part two coming up with Taylor. But just before we do dive into part two, I want to say a big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for sponsoring this episode today. So Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. And also sponsoring this episode today is Black Box Fitness. So Black Box Fitness are a sports performance equipment manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So if you are looking for a full gym fit out, if you're lucky enough to be looking for a full gym fit out, or just want to add additional pieces to what you've already got, whether that be barbells, dumbbells, plates, maybe a new rack, some flooring, etc., etc. Have a little look at what Black Box Fitness can offer. So you can head to their website, which is blkboxfitness.com, or for a more informal view of what they do, head over to their Instagram, because they've got some really cool images of some of the recent projects that they've run in Australia, in the UK, in Europe, etc. So head over to their Instagram, which is at blkboxfitness, and they're the same on Twitter. So, and again, I think we covered this in the last episode, but I'm really interested to get another um, kind of your thoughts 18, 15, 18 months on. So for, for coaches wanting to pivot into this area, 
what would be your advice? Like, it sounds really good, and the, the opportunity, and I speak about it, and we've spoken about it on, on Twitter and on social and things, about the unbelievable opportunity that I still don't think a lot of people are really grasping. For anyone that's interested, what would be your advice to make that transition, or at least get in a headspace so they can make a little bit of transition over into esports or even have a little little dabble in that area what would be the what would be the recommendations for you yeah great question you know i think it goes back to again removing the bias you know of view them as performers high performers you know because if you go in there be like oh well, these are gamers you know like it's not going to be fun um i don't know if i could get into that you know, you got to remove that initially because you'll never actually see the full opportunity and potential, um, you know, because gaming in esports is really the tip of the spear for what I think is going to be the next wave of performance, which is cognitive performance and leaning into that to explore what's possible in that space, which then opens you up to way more opportunities than traditional sports could have ever offered you. I mean, we're talking about dealing with multiple different industries and high performers across the world. I mean, and that, that I think is the most exciting part of this. So if you, if you want to start with esports, I would say first, just gain a, a basic understanding of what the ecosystem looks like, um, especially in your, in your area, you know, reach out and, and see if there's any colleges or teams, um, you know, whether it's aspiring pro or uh, like tier three, tier two, tier one teams, that's kind of like how they move up and rank. Um, you just kind of get a basic understanding of that and then really think about be honest with yourself of what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? Like, are you a nutrition guy? Like you may, uh, you know, for me myself, like S and C, you know, classically, like the weight room is my bread and butter, but I don't really consider myself a weight room guy. Like I, I loved it and I still train and I love that. And I, when the time is right, I do introduce that. But for me, I'm more around the relationships and the holistic approach. So like, how does all this fit together? And like, how do you create these programs and periodize training so that you can do what you want to do and love that you do consistently? <clears throat> so I think being really clear on that with yourselves, <clears throat> excuse me, and really identifying the ways in which you can add value and thinking strategically on, okay, if I were to approach these teams and these players, like what is what is my MVP? Like what are the ways I which I can show up and add value? And sometimes that's going to be for free, you know, and just trying to get your foot in the door and learning. Like have that be market research and start to work with a handful of players here and there and just get a sense of what that's like, the struggles, the conversations. Um, you know, a big part of when I left the NFL and started consulting is I did a lot of that work for free because one, I knew I knew nothing. And I knew there was a lot to learn. And two, I wanted to add as much value as I could because I knew that if I did that, it would turn into something down the road. Like I, I just believed in that. And I've always been people first. And I think one of the, one of the biggest things I would offer is, you know, me, myself, I've always been more interested in the people playing the game than the game itself. And, you know, people say, Hey, do you love football? You're in football, you know, American football for so long. I'm like, no, actually, I don't. It's kind of funny. Like, I don't really watch the NFL anymore as soon as I left. I mean, I cared more about the people playing the game than the actual game itself. I understood what was going on in the game. I um, mean, I think that can kind of alleviate some of the stress and pressure around those that wanted to get into esports because they're like, oh, do I have to be a gamer to actually get in and add value and, and provide a benefit? And my answer would be no. The value that you bring is actually really unique because it's a different perspective. 
You're able to look at it from an outsider's lens and say, hey, here are the things that you're doing. Um, we're not saying you have to change everything all at once, but here are some ways in which you could amplify this area or this area. And I think that's an incredible benefit. It's just, again, how do you curate that conversation and create that relationship with the organizations and the players that you're working with so that you can have that, that foundation to really work from? Is, is there any hubs of teams across the globe that are, that are in existence? Like you're in Austin. Is, is Austin a big hub for, for esports? Oh, uh, you know, there's a lot of streamers that live in Austin. Okay. That's for sure. Yeah, a lot of streamers live in Austin. I mean, the thing about gaming is like it's all over the world. So big hubs. I mean, there's there's the franchise slots uh, in North America that are in L.A. So a lot of teams are based in L.A. Um, there's a few. I don't know if there's, a I would say, hubs. But over in the U.K., there's some big ones. I know Spain has some teams. Um you know, over in Asia, I mean, there's tons of teams over in Asia. So it's hard to say like one specific location. I mean, the one that comes to mind for me is LA in the United States, just because of the two franchise spots and there's gaming developments, um, companies down there as well. So I would actually look around like and see who's, who are the gaming developers? Like, where are they at? You know, where are these professional teams or the organization of teams? Like where are they based out of and start to just work backwards from that. And these guys are, clearly young, young high performers. What kind of, what kind of age range are we, are we typically dealing with here? Is it like when you pass kind of 21, you're, you're almost a 35 year old in, in football? Yeah. I mean, it's guys and girls, right? It's not yeah, just guys that are playing professionally. And, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, it's funny because people get to their mid twenties are like, oh, he's old timer. <laughs> You know, like I'm, I'm 34, I'm 34 and I'm like, man, what? Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of that, I mean, the age range is really going to be from, you know, even like adolescents that are, you know, starting to play at such a very young age, you know, and going into young adulthood. And, you know, we're looking at around probably average ages around like, you know, mid twenties, you know, and then it kind of brings up the question around burnout and why are players dropping off and burning out in their mid twenties? And it's probably due to a lot of different factors, you know, lifestyle factors, as well as the training routine and the grind of the game itself and how practice and is set up. Um, you have some players that are, you know, late twenties, early thirties. Um, those are very far a few between. So it's, it's very interesting. I think that's one of the biggest values we can really bring to the industry is, well, how do we, how do we raise that ceiling? I mean, there's no reason why these players should be dropping off like that. And then another whole other topic is well, what happens to them? You know, are we actually doing the things that we need to do to give them the tools, the resources and the mentorship so that they can go be successful, you know, in life after gaming? Because at the end of the day, we're dealing with people, right? We're dealing with young individuals that are dedicating the first part of their lives to being the best at their craft. And then what? So that, I mean, that's a whole other topic that I'm really passionate about as well. It's like, how do we affording these individuals an opportunity to go be successful for lives after gaming? Um, and that that's a big area. Um, that's out there too. And a lot of organizations are starting to, to think about that. You know, they're, they're either allowing for, you know, ongoing education or providing scholarships or stuff like this, uh, which I think is great. Uh, you'll hear in the States, there's a really growing um, collegiate scene. So you have like full-blown scholarships for esports now. You know, the universities that don't have big sports programs like American football or, or whatever it may be, you know, they have scholarships as a recruiting tool for really smart individuals to come play at their college, which is brilliant. You know, you got individuals that, you know, their, their medium 
of performing is this, you know, machine human interface and they're the best in the world at it. So then it kind of poses like, well, what can we learn from them in that regard? Like they know computers better than pretty much anybody out there because they're working on these computers all the time. So I think that's, that's really cool too. It's, it, I'm, I'm thinking like as people, as, as these gamers get older, like dexterity drops, is that, is that a, and is there any common injuries that these guys pick up along the way that would mean that like mid twenties is kind of the like in the football terms beat up? Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's a lot of overuse injuries. Um, it's primarily overuse injuries in their hand, wrist, elbow, shoulder. Um, they tend to get a lot of neck shoulder pain, um, headaches, eye strain, uh, low back pain. And a lot of that stuff, I mean, all of that is preventable in my opinion. It's just about how do you put together like a prehab workout routine and how do you have just general maintenance? And then what are you doing after when you're done playing to actually unwind and reset? I mean, obviously you're sitting down for long periods of time. So you get this this, you know, reciprocal inhibition, your hips get super tight and gummed down. So obviously your glutes are going to shut off. So your hamstrings and low back take over and then they start to get this back pain. And I mean, some players have the most outrageous postures when they're playing. You're like, what are you doing? But then they're so good. So you're like, okay, well, I don't want to like tweak it too much. It's like the guy who kind of runs weird. Like, yeah, but he runs so fast. Like you don't want to tweak too much on him. So there's definitely that. And I think that kind of also goes into the whole stigma around gaming. It's like, well, they're just playing video games. Like, yes, and they're playing at a very high level with extreme cognitive output. They're burning a tremendous amount of calories. You know, their, their physiological metrics, you know, their, their heart rates are through the roof. They're, you know, 160 to 180 beats per minute. I mean, they're getting up there. Uh, cortisol is through the roof. I mean, they're getting all the same physiological markers that you would see in other sports. Why don't we treat them like athletes? Interesting. And do you know of any, I mean, I'm sure there's loads of stuff going on and probably stuff coming out that I'm just not aware of, but research, is is there any particular areas of research that are really interesting right now? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, a lot of it's really starting to look at, um, you know, like what type of wearables can be used in the gaming context, you know, load management tools like that. Uh, AMS, you know, like athlete man- monitoring systems and, and how do we start to collect all this data and really say, okay, like how do we provide this information back to them to really optimize? Um, I think a lot more people are starting to look into the physiological stuff, you know, so, hey, you know, what are like the, the, the system of systems in terms of our physiology that's going on, you know, pre-practice, during practice, post-practice, things like this. Um, a lot of it's going to be around computer science and neuroscience and really trying to understand that machine human interface and what's really happening. Um, I, for one, am incredibly fascinated with cognitive load and thinking of it through the lens of, okay, well, we think about periodization in traditional SNC on like working backwards from game day. You know, we've got these variables, volume, density, intensity, and frequency. We're really good at being able to manipulate those variables to elicit the result that we want and have them perform their best when it matters most. Why aren't we doing that with our cognitive side? Like, why aren't we looking at perception, cognition, and motor skills and looking at our cognitive load and working memory and deficits and drop off in performance at specific times and being more strategic around how do we create more methodical and thoughtful programming so that you can do that consistently and for longer? Is that happening? Are we in the midst of that now in esports? Is yeah. that starting to come in? 
Yeah, it's starting to happen, which is cool. And then a lot of people are looking at nutrition supplements as well as relates specific to gaming tasks and things like this. Um, You know, so the same sort of, you know, surge in sports science that happened in traditional sports is starting to happen in esports. And it's again, kind of looking at, okay, well, what are the things that matter most? Do we even know all the things that matter most? And starting to unpack and ask those questions and solve for that. So is, is there any specific tools that teams are using to, to try to measure this cognitive load for the, for the uh, performance? You know, so there's a few. I mean, a lot of people are just trying to understand first, like with the revisions of cognitive load theory and like what really pertains to things now, and especially around like working memory. I mean, one of the beautiful things about AIM Lab and what we're doing is we're able to look at these three different buckets around perception, cognition, and motor skills and say, okay, like what's happening within a given 60 second session, you know, and then from that, what information can we extrapolate out and start to look at other areas on how we can optimize that training. Um, A lot more AI is being incorporated to it as well. I mean, not only for our platform, but just in general, people are getting really, really slick with how they're using AI and, you know, kind of creating these maps for performance based off, you know, initial data that they're collecting. Um, so I would imagine a lot more of that's going to be coming out in the future as well. And I would like to see that too. You know, and one of the things that I love is having conversations with other colleagues and people across multiple industries and just, you know, knowledge share and just talk and shop, you know, and just be like, Hey, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm thinking about. Like, what do you think? Like I had an amazing conversation yesterday with Pete McKnight, who's uh, yes. the director of performance. Yeah. So he listened to our podcast that we did and he hit me up and he's awesome. What's up, Pete? And uh, <laughs> we had a great, we had a great conversation, you know, talking about formula one drivers and how Hinsa is looking at East, you know, providing the same tools for esport players and, and really thinking about, you know, the neurological side of it, like what's under the hood. And so I think as more people get interested and look beyond just the physical output and really start to think more deeply on the cognitive output, and what needs to be true to enhance these things, then it gets really exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted you've mentioned Pete, by the way, because I think we spoke, me and him spoke about it when I, when I'd done the episode, we'd done the episode together. So that, that's great that he's reached out and you've had a good chat, but that leads me on nicely because my next question was going to be, have you spoke to anyone that has made that transition away from traditional sports and into esports just like you did? That's kind of a bit of an, another, like success story and obviously Pete's thinking about that with his hints of hat on, but is there anyone else? Uh, I mean, there's a few people that are getting their feet wet and either coming out. It's actually really cool to see. I mean, young people that are coming out of college or going into college and they're like, Hey, I'm not like, I'm interested in science and physiology and the neuroscience, but I'm not interested in traditional sports. I'm interested in gaming which I think is awesome. Um, so there's a lot more, I think there's going to be a whole generation of performance coaches with this, you know, niche around esports that are going to be coming up through the ranks, which is awesome to see. Um, you know, in terms of people crossing over from traditional sports, I think there's a few, you know, it's, and I wouldn't even say like mine's a success story, right? I'm still learning. I'm still going, I'm figuring it out, you know, and, and, you know, that's the beauty of it too. I think there is still some hesitation. Like people don't really get the opportunity. Um, they don't really see it as a viable means, you know, for a profession. They may think it's like something fun to kind of like just dabble with. Um, but it's very real. And, you know, what I always go back to is, you know, SNC is always going to be there and you can always go back to it. So, and, and I get that once you leave an organization, 
uh, it may be tough to get back in with that organization, but you always have that on your resume. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, when I left the NFL, everyone told me it was career suicide. And I was like, okay, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> and that was, that was, that was part of like the fun in it too. Being like, okay, no, I got this. I can figure this out and I'm still figuring it out. And, you know, the, the role that I'm doing now with state space is more on the product side too. It's, it's learning about, you know, how to be a product manager and how to think through the lens of the end user, which is so, I mean, when I really kind of, I made this, this shift and this click of being like, oh, this is just performance coaching. You know, we have this goal in mind. We're trying to optimize for these things. You know, how do we work backwards from that? How do we work with a team of individuals, with engineers and our design and everybody else that's involved in the process of creating this feature or this product? And then how do we release that? You know, like that's like our, you know, winning a game or like, you know, winning a big match or a tournament is like, hey, let's release this product and then how we get the feedback from our users. And so I, I really love that now. And I think there's so much of that that opens up this opportunity to use the skill sets of a traditional S&C coach across multiple different industries. You just have to think a little bit differently and put yourself out there and take some risks. And I've had a few, a few colleagues that, you know, I've spoken to and they're completely burnt out from traditional sports and working within it's, it's a grind. And I know you've talked about this a lot too. It's, it's a grind. There's only a few jobs. I mean, there's many jobs, but there's really a few positions that, you know, really super fulfilling, at least in my opinion. And people are getting burnt out, you know? So, and the work-life balance, you know, like that's a huge thing too. You know, my whole life was dictated by the schedule of a team in which I had no control over. And now don't get me wrong, it's still a grind, but I have more, you know, agency over my life given that I work for a startup and, and outside of the whole grind of traditional sports. So for a performance coach in a, an esports setting, would is is the schedule pretty fixed? Is it like a season in like an NFL season or EPL season? How does that what would that look like for an, a performance coach generally? We don't obviously know specifics, but generally, yeah. So yeah, so I'll just take like North America. You know, with the two franchise spots that they have, so they have um, Overwatch League and the LCS. Uh, which is League of Legends Championship Series, and they have seasons. So it's, you know, they have their their different splits. And so for a performance coach, you know, they're going to be working with the teams pretty much year-round in that sense. You know, maybe they'll have some off time and they'll have like the periods where they're on and they're playing their games or they'll have their downtime, they have off-season, things like this. So it's very similar. Again, there's way more similarities than differences. And depending on the organization and how you're employed, whether it's a contractor or, you know, you're actually embedded within the organization, your schedules will vary. Uh, but a lot of the performance coaches that I know that are working with organizations, like a lot of them are PTs, actually, physios. And so they have their own practice. And then they also work with the teams or they work with a few teams and then a few players on the side. And so they're still able to, you know, do other things as well. And then there's the few that I think, you know, have like full blown, you know, that's all they do. Uh, I mean, that's what I did when I was at Infinite and I was their VP of performance where that's all I did was think about the performance programs and how do we build out these models for, you know, at the time we had five professional organizations, um, you know, 14 teams and a developmental academy. So it was like, how do we really work and build out those structures and systems so that these teams could be successful? So for a structure like that, how many performance coaches were working under and or, or with you? Yeah. So I had myself, I had, uh, my right-hand guy, Trevor Love. He was actually, you know, he's, he'd be another, what you call a success story too. I mean, I pulled him from traditional sports. 
you know, he was my big sounding board when I was throwing around these ideas and being like, Hey man, this is, I think I'm going to go for this. And he was like, do it coach, just do it. <laughs> and uh, so I swooped him up. And um, so it was myself and Trevor. And then we had a whole fleet of interns that were helping us. And, um, you know, every one of those guys and gals that were part of that, part of that process of building that incredibly grateful for, you know, and it just, it, it takes a team effort really. Um, so what we had, I think was very special. Not a lot of organizations. I don't know if any organizations were, had, had a system or a team in place like we did. And with the magnitude of the number of teams that we were working with, uh, I would love to see that happen more frequently because it just adds so much value to the players. Awesome. Well, we're coming up to half past the hour, which I said I'd only keep you until, but it's been super fascinating. We could go on for ages and just go one question for another as it comes into my mind because there's so many questions I think people would want answering. But like P, reaching out, what would be the best? Pl- where's the best place for people to to reach out should they have any questions about esports in general, your work at State Space, transitioning from traditional sports, whatever it may be. Totally. Yeah, I mean, you can you can reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, it's Coach T underscore Johnson. Uh, I mean, that'd probably be the best place. I mean, LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn is a good spot too. Uh, you could look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, just, you know, bear with me. Sometimes like LinkedIn gets a bit uh, just inbox full. But if you send me a message or um, I'll, I always try to get back to people as fast as I can. So LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, you can shoot me an email at taylor at statespacelabs.com. Um, totally. I mean, my whole thing on this too is, you know, I don't have all the answers uh, and I'm working to figure it out. And one of the biggest benefits in all of this is knowledge sharing and, you know, really helping people that really want to make that transition. You know, I'm very passionate about that of, you know, us being able to, to be in a position to, you know, to really live into our purpose and to share information and, you know, help people be the best they can be. So if you have any questions, comments, even concerns or you don't believe, you know, didn't like anything that I said, like, let me know. Like I'm totally open to have a conversation and kick ideas around. Cause then I learn and grow and that's a win-win. Of course. So do you have, I mean, you said that the inbox is full, often full on LinkedIn, but there's plenty of people, there's, there's lots of interest. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's really fun to see. I mean, a lot of people reach out and they hit me up and ask questions and, you know, whether they're trying to get into the space or they're already in the space working with a few players and have questions or comments. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's fun to see and it's definitely increased over the years. I mean, four years ago, like nobody was really asking about it. And now, you know, people are just kind of hit me up and it's phenomenal, you know, so please reach out and, um, you know, or just ping me on Twitter and I'll, I'll circle up and I'll get back to you. Awesome. Taylor, super, super interesting. And I think this will go down very well because there's a lot of interest in this area. As we keep every now and again, it'll come up on Twitter and I'll tag you in because it's interested yeah. in your take on things. So yeah, super interesting. I think there'll be a lot, lot, lots of value. So thank you very much. Stick around. We'll have a lot of chat, but um, really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Thanks you, man. I, I really appreciate the work that you do and, you know, really acknowledge you for putting information out there and bringing great people on. And I, I learned so much from your podcast as well. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. See you, mate. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 337 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the long overdue part two with Taylor Johnson. So also big thanks to sponsors of this episode today. 
Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Black Box Fitness, Kitman Labs, and Perch. Really do appreciate their support, their constant support of the podcast. As I say every week, it could not happen in its current form. It could not continue in its current form without these guys. So I really do appreciate their support. So anyone that's interested in esports on the performance side, make sure you reach out to Taylor have a chat and uh, the book will be out in the coming months and years so really look forward to uh, to giving that a read so thank you very much for tuning in really do appreciate your support and i'll chat to you next week <laughs>